Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hi there, my name is Andy Frost and I'm normally at the Ballam site and I got to share the last part of this series of God in the City but somehow it didn't record so I'm giving you a little snapshot of what I shared on Sunday morning. In week one we explored the idea of the city in the big biblical story that begins in a garden and ends in a city. And we explored the idea in week two of work, that work isn't just an aside to what God is doing but God is doing something through our work. In week three, we look at the idea of power, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live differently in the city. We have to steward the Holy Spirit at work in and through our lives. And in this final part of this series, we're exploring the idea of citizenship and the city. When Jesus turns up on the scene, people aren't quite sure who he is. He's doing miracles and he's telling stories and he's challenging injustice. People aren't quite sure, well, who is this man? Then there's this story found in Matthew 16. Jesus takes his disciples, basically like taking a youth group, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. That was the Roman name for the place. But it really is a place where there was different styles of worship. Historically, Baal had been worshipped there. And then the Greek god Pan, and then now the emperor was being worshipped there. It was full of idols and a big kind of white temple. And into this place, surrounded by all this stuff, there's also a real sense of lust and debauchery. And Jesus brings these young guys here. And you might be thinking, this is a weird place to bring a youth group. And yet Jesus says to them, amongst all of this, who do people say I am? And then he says... And who do you say I am? Peter nails it. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Jesus says, yeah. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I love the idea that that rock isn't necessarily Peter, but it's the confession that Peter makes. That Jesus is the foundation to everything that is being built as he looks at building his people, the church. The idea that the cornerstone was Jesus, that that confession about him, that that cornerstone, if you're building a house in the olden days, you would fix that cornerstone first. And because of that being fixed, you could then work out where every other stone went. Jesus is what we build our lives upon and around. But that word church often has some misunderstanding. We often think about a church being a building or a place. It's because the translation that we have comes from the Germanic word kirch, meaning location or building. But Jesus specifically uses this Greek term, ekklesia or ecclesia, which is a kind of bringing together of two words, the word ek, which means out, and the word kalio, which means to call. The called out. So whereas kirch means location or building, ecclesia means the purposeful gathering 
of citizens. As his people, we are called to be citizens of heaven, as Paul writes about time and time again in letters. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We are a purposeful gathering. There is a meaning and purpose. We are called to pray his kingdom come and his will be done in and through our lives, in our communities and in our city. This is the call that we have. In week one, Karen shared a snippet of the story of Babel. I want to unpack some more of that this morning. I think it helps to understand what it means to be citizens of heaven and what kind of a city should we be involved in building here on earth? So Genesis 11, the story begins like this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Can you just imagine that for a second? How easy would that be when you meet somebody from a different country, you could converse in the same language, it'd be so simple. Often I have to put on a funny accent trying to communicate in different languages, I often fail dismally. Verse two. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Modern day Iraq, near the Euphrates, they found this nice fertile land and they settled there. Verse three, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. It's like an Old Testament version of the great British Bake Off. They formed these perfect bricks. This was really a massive technological advance. It changed how they could do things going forwards. And then comes verse four. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. It begins with that phrase, come, let us. That phrase that we might know of in Genesis 1, when God says, come, let us make mankind in our image. The idea that perhaps they're trying to be like God, to almost take on his role. And this verse, I think, has three powerful challenges for us as we live out our citizenship in heaven here on earth today in the cities where God has placed us. The first thing is this with a tower that reaches to the heavens. They had no longer just stones, they had bricks, and bricks make building easier. When with my kids, when they were younger, we'd often try and build these towers. I'd often get frustrated because I'm trying to build the highest tower I could, and I'd hear them knock it down before I'd quite finished. I would have to wait till they went to bed and I could finally build myself a big tower. You might be thinking, hang on a sec, these people are really that simple. They really think they could build a tower that reached up to the heavens. Wouldn't they find it difficult when they got to the stratosphere and suddenly they found it hard to breathe? And why didn't they begin on a mountaintop rather than beginning in a valley? It makes no sense. Peter Bruger painted three pictures of this idea of the Tower of Babel. I don't think they were that simple. But I think they understood that their lives needed a vision. They needed a purpose. The idea of actually our lives need vision. Our cities need vision. We need a purpose for why we are living. Often the world says, 
Make your mark on the city. Do something great. Make something great happen. But we can lose track of the vision that God has called us to live for. Citizens of the kingdom have a bigger vision. The vision isn't just what we can build, but it's what God is doing in us and through us in the midst of all that we are doing. And we keep that vision not just on the small thing that we're doing, but the bigger picture of what he is doing. His kingdom come, his will be done. The second thing that was wrong with this tower was so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now again, there's nothing wrong with making a name for yourself. We heard in, uh, in Balaam, we heard from Kimra talk about her father being a great teacher. And being a good teacher is a good thing. You might want to be a good parent or be known as a good GP or be known as a good client. But the danger is this, that we become more bothered about our name than we are about the name of Jesus. In this story, Nimrod is one of the founders of the city. In Genesis 10, you find that have these kingdoms and what's interesting is that kingdoms always need a king. It's a theme that runs through scripture and he wants to be a king of this kingdom and in chapter 10 verse 9 of Genesis we have this idea that he is a mighty warrior. That word can also be translated a violent oppressor. That sometimes we can be so bothered about making a name for ourselves that we push other people down that we do harm to other people, that we gossip behind their back, that we speak badly of them to try and make our name great. But we, as citizens of heaven, are called to make the name of Jesus great. Are you making a name for yourself in the city? Or are you, as a citizen of the kingdom, looking to make Jesus famous again for all that he is? quick illustration I gave on Sunday morning was the idea of playing tennis. How often do we drop the things of Jesus and our faith into conversations at work or at school or in our community? I liken the idea to playing a game of tennis. You're having a rally, hitting the ball over the net to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. That our job is to drop things about God into the everyday conversations. And if somebody picks up on those things, you begin a conversation, you begin a rally. What we mustn't do as Christians is be like one of those tennis ball machines that just pelts out tennis balls. That is not who we're called to be. But we are called to, where appropriate, begin to drop things of the king and the kingdom into conversations to point towards Jesus. The third thing about this city that was wrong was this. They said, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This story comes just after Genesis 9. Genesis 9 verse 1, Noah gets a repeat of the commission to go and fill all the earth. That's what they're commanded by God to go and do. But they found this nice fertile land and they build a city. And I guess in a world where there are wild animals and lions roaming around, there's something safe about being in a city with other people, with a wall around you, with fields that you could harvest I guess if you were scattered over the earth, you had to rely upon God, but perhaps now they could rely upon each other. The truth is this. I think they'd settled for a comfortable 
life. See, the world says to us, make, a, make yourself comfortable in the city. But citizens of the kingdom are willing to be uncomfortable. Where is God calling you to be uncomfortable? Maybe to speak out for justice. Maybe to challenge some of the status quo. Maybe to make some kind of a difference in the way that you live our life, you live your life. Perhaps being different and speaking about Jesus in different situations. We're told in the Bible to pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. Make yourself comfortable in cities of the world. But citizens of the kingdom are willing to make themselves uncomfortable. The story continues in Genesis 11 with these verses. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. This is basically a Hebrew sarcasm like, wow, what a massive tower you've got that God has to come down and have a look at it. It continues. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Is God scared? Nothing they do will be impossible for them? I don't think so. I think you've seen how quickly they have lost track of what life's all about. They've separated away from him. And he's concerned for their own good. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I love the idea that God doesn't send another flood. God doesn't send down lightning bolts. But in his grace, he just confuses their language. For me, as we look to the impact we can make on a city, it's about not just doing what we think is great, but actually sensing what is the vision that God has for our city. It's not about making my name great, but about making his name great. And often that involves not being comfortable, but doing what is uncomfortable, because my citizenship is ultimately in heaven. But we do this not because we have to do this, but we do this in response to what he has done for us. Babel is his tower going up towards the heavens. But in Acts 2, in this big story that we have, we discover not how we get towards heaven, but how the Holy Spirit comes down towards us and empowers us as ordinary people to do some extraordinary things. And in Babel, the language was all confused, but in Acts 2, on that day of Pentecost, suddenly the disciples speak in different languages as the Spirit enables them to do so. This sense of we respond by these things today because we have discovered just how much God loves us and God cares for us. I ended my talk on Sunday with two short stories. The first was of the Cadbury's brothers. 175 years ago, you couldn't buy a chocolate bar, but you could buy this cocoa paste, so you mix it with water or milk to make a drink. But these two brothers had a vision for cocoa powder and how it could be used. They lived in a time during the Industrial Revolution when many people were living in slums and in absolute squalor, when men were often out getting drunk, when children were having to force into labour, many of them at the age of five working as chimney sweeps, some horrendous situations. 
You know, these two brothers believed that through business they could transform and change the world. Their Christian values were so important to them. And so through this business, through the Cadbury's chocolate, they began to do some incredible things. They began to pay their work as well. They paid them sick pay when they couldn't work. They introduced a half day on Saturday rather than a full day. They set up Bourneville, this, this, this town they created around the factory with different houses in the countryside, alongside with sports spaces too. They really saw the importance of transforming culture and they used their business to do it. You might think, well, hang on a sec, I haven't got a business like that. So that's one example, but here's the other example. So a man called Roger Forster, who died recently. He planted many churches, and I could talk about his ministry for a long time. He did some incredible things. He, he helped to link up the idea of social action and evangelism. He saw the importance of the, the Holy Spirit working through the church. Lots of training, lots of things, lots of marches across the capital. Some incredible stuff that he did. But I want to share one story from his early years, when he was a child, as a kid. I was very sceptical, critical and omniscient as one is, especially of the church people with whom we would soon congregate. Perhaps because I was having to attend with the family, I fulminated like an Old Testament prophet against the hypocrisy of this part of the body of Christ with whom we would soon be worshipping. But I was forced to admit to my family that if there was anyone at the church with the real thing, if Christianity were real, then old man Frost had got it. This dear, venerable little man who walked purposefully, yet serenely along with us, communicated across at least 70 years to my boyish apprehension, a glow of spiritual well-being, an attractive holiness, together with a love for a creator and a saviour. I will never, over the years, forgot old man Frost, as we boys cheekily called him, and the impression he left on me of the attractiveness of God. Roger Frost did some incredible things, but that man, old man Frost, was my great, great granddad. He never wrote books, he never worked in full-time ministry, and yet the way that he lived his life impacted Roger, went on to impact it in many more different ways. Whether we can run businesses making chocolate, or whether actually we're just going to be the kind of mentors to those in our community to show more of who Christ is. I believe that each and every one of us is called to be citizens of heaven. We're called to be the ecclesia, the called out people, as we follow after Jesus. And it's about not these small dreams, but this bigger vision that God has given us. And it's not about making a name for ourselves, but ultimately making a name for Jesus. And it isn't about living comfortable lives, but about following after him wherever he calls us to go. God bless you as you transform and change the city. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.